0: Well, we are uh, we're in the second week of a, of a series entitled Together, because that's what the body of Christ is. We are together, and uh, all of our strengths and weaknesses, all of our highs and lows, all the good times and bad times, through the ebb and flow of life, the body of Christ is knit and joined together. The Bible says in Ephesians, we are knit and joined together by what every person supplies. So we are together together. And that's what this series is about. Today we're going to talk about the growth of gathering. There's no substitute for our private time with God. Jesus talked about prayer and he said, go as it were into your closet and shut the door and have your time, your private time, your just time with you and God. That's vitally important. There's no replacement for that. There's no substitute. Nor is there a substitute for the body of Christ gathering together. I know that, that what we've just been through a few years ago caused a lot of people to sit at home and, and some out of necessity to watch, and some have made that a habit. There's no, there's no condemnation or criticism, it's just what it is. But the body of Christ is supposed to come together. There is something unique and powerful about being together in the same space, in the same room, and worshiping the same God. As Michelle read earlier in Hebrews chapter 10, that's our focus uh, for one more week after this, but I want to, uh, to really hone in on verses 21 through 23. It talks to us about the fact that since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I want to hone in on those verses. And it appears that the writer of the book of Hebrews is really using some really choice words as he is led by the Holy Spirit. Specific words such as great high priest, come near to God, sincere heart, assurance, faith, cleanse, washed, hope, and faithful. When we talk about the body of Christ coming together, we are talking about Christ's body coming together. The Bible says where two or more gather in his name, the Lord is there. We know that as we gather in the body of Christ and we lift up praise before the Lord, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. The Bible says that there is liberty where the Spirit of God is. That in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Bible talks a lot in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about the presence of God. We find in Acts chapter number 10 and verse 33 here's a Gentile, Cornelius, who an angel appears to him and says, Hey, there's a guy named Peter. You need to send some men over there and have Peter come to your house. So Cornelius does that. Peter, on the other hand, has a, a vision from God and it's confirmed to him that he's supposed to go with these guys to this guy's house named Cornelius. So when Peter arrives at this house, and that was like taboo, the Jewish people did not go into the house of a Gentile, but God had spoken to Peter. And so Peter's in this house of this Cornelius Gentile. And so he says, okay, what, why, did you, why did you bring me here? Why did you call for me? And Cornelius goes through the episode, he says, the Lord, an angel spoke to me and the Lord revealed to me that I was supposed to send men and you were supposed to come to my house. And then Cornelius said, so I sent men immediately and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. He's acknowledging that this is a God thing that is happening. We're all here in the presence of God and we're eager to hear whatever you have to say because God has led us to this point and God has led you to this point. In Luke chapter 1, we see that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, when an angel comes and speaks to him and Zechariah is like questioning, he's trying to figure this out. And the angel says to him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. He did not say, I have stood. He said, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. David writes in Psalm 24, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. When we talk about the presence of God, we recognize that that is a place of holiness and it is a place of power. It is a place of instruction. It is a place of healing. When we talk about the presence of God, are we simply just saying this is an unknown? Not at all. Are we saying this question of what is the presence of God, or what do we find in the presence of God, are we saying that's an unanswerable question? Absolutely not. The Bible gives us complete and full demonstration and example of what it means to be in the presence of God and what you can expect. Not a box, but a description, examples of the presence of God. And as we come together as the body, We come expecting to be in the presence of God. That's why we enter His gates with thanksgiving and in His courts with praise. We start off our worship service with praise and worship, getting everyone in one mind and one accord so the Holy Spirit sees there's unity. You know, God has a a difficult time breaking through division, but He loves unity. The Bible says how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that's what the body of Christ is about. I want to draw a comparison, if you will, between Hebrews chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 3. When we think about the presence of God and what can we expect and what do we see, what, what is the experience of the presence of God, we're going to look at Genesis 3 and this Hebrews chapter 10 that we just read. What do we find in Genesis chapter 3? We find a God, we find garden, we find Adam and Eve, and we find a serpent. That last one will throw you for a loop, won't it? For some reason, God created Adam and Eve and put them in a perfect place. They were perfect, in a perfect place, and there was a devil there. That kind of blows our minds sometimes, doesn't it? Why, why Why didn't God just, like, send the devil to Mars or Jupiter or something or Pluto? He's not even a planet anymore. Just send him to Pluto. He didn't do that. We we get upset with God when bad things happen to good people. And that's one of the great objections to people who don't, don't believe in God or no longer believe in God. Is that they say, I don't understand how a loving God could allow such bad things to happen to good people. And yet he creates a perfect garden with a perfect Adam and Eve and there's a devil in there. What is God doing? He's saying, I did not create you to be robots. I did not create you to be in this environment where you cannot fail. You cannot do wrong. He said, I'm going to trust my creation so much that I'm going to allow you to be tempted and I'm going to trust you. And yet God in his knowledge knew beforehand what was going to happen. But let's look at Genesis 3. And let's see what we find. The first thing we find is goodness. In that garden that God creates, there's goodness. God is a good God, and he creates us for goodness, and he creates us very, very well. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we are made in the image of God, and every one of us are God-image bearers. In that goodness, we find water, and we find land, and we find plants, and we find animals, and we find work, and we find rules. You know, God established work before the fall of man. Before the fall, he said, you're going to work this place. Work is ordained of God. It's not a result of the curse. So we find goodness. In the presence of God, we find goodness. In the presence of a body of Christ brought together with all of our strengths and all of our weaknesses, we find goodness. Because in all of that, we make up this full and complete body of Christ. And so we find goodness. In all of that, there's goodness. In all of the possibilities of going wrong, there's goodness. Because God says, I trust you. God says, I'm working in you, and I'm working through you. And so he trusts us. We find goodness. The second thing we find is problems. Did you... Did you know I brought some problems with me today? And how many of you brought a few problems with you today? Ain't nobody lifting their hand today. Nobody. That's a trick question. I'm not responding. What are we saying? Every one of us have problems. Every one of us have difficulties. Every one of us are, are kind of like, oh, man, I'm, I'm trying to figure life out. and I'm, I tried this, and, man, that didn't work. And then I tried that, and that didn't work and every one of us bring that as the total package of who we are. We see that in the Garden of Eden, we see that in Genesis 3 and we see it in the church today. God does not look at problems as a problem. He looks at problems as an opportunity for him to show and shine and be glorified. It is through our weaknesses that he is made strong. It is through our weaknesses that his strength is made known. And so we don't worry about problems. We don't worry about trial and error. We don't worry about mistakes because we recognize that through all of that, God is moving. And if we eliminate mistakes, we eliminate the opportunity for God to shine through those mistakes. And so we see problems. We see sin. We see guilt. We see shame. What did Adam and Adam and Eve do after they sinned? They hid. Here it it, it's a poetic picture, but here comes God and he's wanting to have some fellowship with Adam and Eve, and he knows what's happened, like duh. And so he's like, you know, it's as it were calling for them, and they're hiding. And they come clean and say, oh, we, we hid because we're naked. And he said, who told you that you're naked? It's a wonderful interchange of question and answer. We see the shame, how they hid themselves when they sin, And how many of us have hidden ourselves because of our sin? How many of, us, how many of us have it done wrong? And then we go, I don't want anybody to see that. I don't want anyone to know that. I'm going to cover that up. And we do the exact same thing. And yet that does not stop God from meeting with Adam and Eve in their sinfulness. See, Hope Crossings is a place and the church is a place where you don't have to be perfect to come in the door. You just have to come in the door. And we welcome anyone and everyone into Hope Crossings. And when I say anyone and everyone, I mean, what I mean by, let me clarify that. What I mean is anyone and everyone so if somebody walks in the door with a with a bottle of vodka they're welcome if two men walk in hand in hand holding hands they're welcome if somebody is drunk and can barely walk we'll help them we'll drag them in somebody's high on whatever We'll get security and we'll help them in. That's true. We will get security. We have security and we'll get them. I'm not trying to just simply be dramatic. I really want you to know we welcome people. Because we were, we were sinners before we were saints. And I still have problems after being a saint. The Bible says we're saints if you're a part of the body. Some of you are going like, dude, he thinks he's a saint. <laughs> the, the Bible describes us as saints. We, us, the body of Christ. Okay, just read it. Study that. Okay. But we were sinners first. We were no, we were no better than whoever. And so we welcomed him. We say, come on in. Confusion. Blame. Problems, you know. The, you know the first thing Adam did after after he uh, was confronted by God. You know the first thing he did, right? He looked at Adam and said, Eve and he said, "This woman you gave me, <laughs> she gave me the fruit." And God turned to Eve and said, "Hey, what did you do? This devil, this devil. There's just all this blame stuff." But what's the next thing we see in the garden? And what we see in the body of Christ, their sacrifice. See, God, evidently, we're trying to fill in the blanks here in Genesis 3, but evidently God took an animal and he slaughtered the animal and then he made coverings for Adam and Eve out of the skin of that animal. There was a sacrifice. There was an animal that lost its life, though innocent. The animal didn't sin. The animal didn't do anything wrong. But it was Adam and Eve who did something wrong. But the animal lost his life to make a covering for Adam and Eve. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what God did. He said, the one who's innocent will pay the price so that those who are guilty can be covered. And that's what we see in the presence of God. That's what we see. The Bible says that the Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. God had all this Established and ready, it was just working through the issues. It was already decided and done. And so that's what we find in the body of Christ, that's what we find in the presence of God is sacrifice. You can't enter the presence of God without that sacrifice. Aren't you thankful for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross? There's sacrifice. Blood was spilled, but covering was established. The fourth thing we see is, is that covering. Nakedness was covered. What was not a problem before, now after sin is a problem and it had to be covered and it was. But let me ask you something. Was it covered for God? Was it covered because God goes, oh, dude. cover that up? It wasn't covered for God. It was covered for man. It was covered for Adam and Eve so that they could have a resemblance of their innocence restored, a resemblance. And so God provided that covering, not for himself, but for them. It was for their benefit. But the next and the greatest and the last thing we see there in the garden, and we see it in the body of Christ in the presence of God, and that is hope. God in that moment gives a glimpse into the future for Adam and Eve. There's only two people on the planet, and God himself is, if you will, prophesying about what is to come. He says, okay, here's what's going on. Uh, Serpent, there's a problem. And you're going to crawl around on your belly the rest of your life. And obviously, he's speaking to a, a being, a serpent, but he's also, he understands who he's really talking to here. He's talking to Satan, the one who fell out of heaven because of sin and pride and arrogance. And he begins to give this prophecy. He said, said, I want you guys to understand what's going to happen here. Um, This enemy, there's going to be someone in the future, and this enemy is going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush the head of the serpent. There's an injury, but then there's a crushing. And I like that. And he's prophesying about what would happen in the future as Jesus went to the cross. Jesus gave himself up for the cross, and that was Satan's opportunity to, to bruise that heel, to inflict pain, and to, to draw blood, if you will. But Jesus, God is saying, hey, don't worry about it. The heel will be crushed, but the head, I mean, the heel will be bruised, but the head is going to be crushed. And that's the position that we have today. We're this side of Calvary. We we battle against an enemy that has an eternal headache. We are fighting against an enemy that has been crushed. He is defeated because of what Christ did on the cross. We are more than conquerors in Jesus' name. We are overcomers because of who Christ is and what he did on the cross. And therefore, we have hope. We have hope because our enemy is ultimately defeated, and we have victory in Jesus' name. Christ died on the cross for the sin of the entire world, and that is the reason for our hope. In the Garden of Eden, it was a prophecy that they couldn't even understand. They had no concept of what was going to happen. And as time marched on through the Old Testament, it began to be somewhat clear, but still a little foggy. But Christ made it crystal clear when he went to the cross and he said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, It is finished. Telestei, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's when it was finally done, that there was a bruising of the heel. But aren't you glad three days later there was a crushing of the head of Satan? And now his authority is so limited because we are the ones who are victorious in Jesus' name. We come together as the body of Christ, and that's what we see. We see victory. We see people who have been given the responsibility to lay hands on the sick and to see them recover. We gather together as a group of people who have the responsibility of speaking the word of God that is far more powerful than any of us or all of us when we speak the word of God. It's like using a sharp two-edged sword. It has power to divide and cut. It's like giving a seed into the ground that will grow and no one can stop it from growing. We are the body of Christ. We are together We have a hope that is eternal, and that is our eternal salvation. Hebrews 10 talks about hope and covering and sacrifice and problem and God's goodness. We're the ones that caused the problem. God is the one that solved it. We're the ones that messed it up. God is the one who fixed it. And when we come together as the body of Christ, we come with a victorious spirit to say, we serve the king of this universe, and nobody is better than him. Nobody's more powerful than he is. That's the body of Christ, but we must come to him just as we really are. See, the trick, the lie, the deception, is when we think, okay, Chris, I hear what you're saying. I I get it, but I've got some things in my life. I'm going to go this week. I'm going to work on those things, and then I'll come back to church next Sunday, and then, then I'm ready. Whoa, time out. No, we we come to God just the way we are. With everything we got, all of our baggage, all the stuff, all the junk, we come to Him just the way we are. We come to Him with our shame. God, I'm ashamed of what I did. I'm ashamed of what happened. I'm ashamed of the consequences and the results. God, I wish I had not done that. God says, I got this. God is telling you today, He's got it. He sees you just for who you are. He sees you as the one that he died on the cross for. So your shame is not a problem for him. It's a problem for you. But will you allow him to take that shame away from you? Because he will. He will take that shame. Sometimes we think we can't come to God with doubts. I think God loves our doubt. What I mean is, if our doubt is keeping us from seeking Him and drawing near to Him, let's talk to Him about it. Let's go, hey man, I'm, I'm doubting this. I don't understand this. What's going on? Then He can work through it. He doesn't mind our doubt if we'll come to Him with our doubt. He's able to answer the questions. He's, a, he's able to clear it up. And so we come to Him with our doubts. We go, God, I don't get this. I don't understand it. We come to Him, obviously, with our sin. We say, God, I I blew it, I blew it again, and again, and again. We we're talking um, in our uh, Tuesday morning men's uh, uh, prayer meeting, and we meet every Tuesday at 7 o'clock here at the church. All, all you men are welcome to come. We, we're just reading through 1 Peter right now, and then we talk, and we relate, and we encourage one another, and, and we pray for one another, and we pray for the needs of the church. We, we, we happen to be talking about profanity. <sighs> out of the three spankings that I received in elementary school, two of them were for profanity. And I'm talking about teachers spanking me. And I remember getting saved, I gave my heart to Christ. And you know that some habits are hard to break. But every time I'd let one of those words slip out, I would immediately say, God, please forgive me and help me never do that again. And about three minutes later, I'd pray, God, please forgive me. <laughs> You come to God just the way you are with whatever sin you've got. And he says, I've got a covering for that because there was a sacrifice for that. There's a covering for that because there was a sacrifice for that. We bring our trouble. We bring the trouble that we're in. Whatever situation we bring it to him, we bring the whatever we have to him. And what do we find in his presence? We find mercy. We find mercy we find joy, we find peace, we find forgiveness. The Bible says, In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Where two or more gather in my name, He says, I'm there in that place. He says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Not bondage, there's liberty. Jesus said in John ten ten, He said, The thief, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And in his presence, that's where we find abundant life. That's why it's so vital for the church body to meet together because we are a constant reminder to one another. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, covering, power, anointing, gifts, amazement. We are reminding each other of all the attributes of Christ because we are his body here on earth. My question to you today is this. Do you know Christ as a Savior? We're not talking about as a church figure, a religious figure, but do you know him as a Savior? Are you still thinking, I'll figure it out, and I'll, I'll, get it, I'll get it together, and then I'll come to God? But I think by now you've realized that is not working. That plan is not working. But today is your day to accept Christ as your Savior just the way you are, like all of us came to Christ We came just the way we were with all our messed up, dysfunction, all of our stuff. We came and said, God, please forgive me. And he did. We said, God, please welcome me into your family. And he did. And we said, God, please help me. And he did. God, would you please take away this shame? And he did. Everything we brought to God that we were so messed up about, he fixed it or is maybe still in the process of fixing it. And that's a good road to be on. But in that moment, He brings forgiveness. Do you need His forgiveness today? It's here. It's available. Because God is here. Because healing is here. Because anointing is here. Freedom is here. It's all in Him. It's all in Him. And so what do you need today? God is more than enough. Let's pray together, okay?